welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode, I am joined by Andrew Marshall. I met Andrew because I appeared on his podcast. He interviewed me about divorce and I thought, wouldn't it be nice to do it the other way around as well? Uh, Andrew is a marital therapist. He also has a really interesting divorce story because it was a divorce in his family early on that really went on for a long time. Sounds like a very toxic a secretive situation and really impacted on so many people's lives. So it's a really interesting exploration of that and what made him, you know, start to work with couples and help their marriages. So enjoy. I am joined by Andrew G. Marshall, marital therapist, international best-selling author and host of the Meaningful Life podcast. Welcome to The Divorce Social. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, that's that's a very nice start. Um, how does it feel, me welcoming you to The Divorce Social? Well, it feels really rather exciting, to be perfectly honest, partly because we've met before, you've been a guest on my podcast, so I know all about you. So, you know, I'm pleased that we're seeing each other again. And I feel it's really important that we have a sort of grown-up conversation about uh, this topic, because it's uh, affected me very profoundly. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because unlike most of my guests, you yourself are not divorced. But divorce has played a big role in your life. Yes, and my parents aren't divorced either. Um, I've been been together with my my partner for twenty years. We've been married for fifteen or sixteen. But the story sort of effectively goes back almost sixty years to my childhood. And the thing that I need to explain is that my mother's sister married my father's brother. So we've got two sisters and two brothers who got married. And normally, if there is a fallout, you sort of go with the blood. And so divorce generally in families means that you have to take sides. I hate that idea, but that's generally what happens. And this divorce was a very long, slow one. And it was also a very bitter one that the impact of it lasted for many, many, many years. And some, when people have actually asked me, why did I become a therapist, not just a therapist, but a marital therapist, that's actually what I studied to do from the very beginning. And when I was actually engaging in that process, which was over 30 years ago, possibly 35 years ago, you know, I was asked, why did I want to do it? And I gave all sorts of reasons. But 
I didn't actually know enough about myself to be able to deep down into the real origin story and the real origin story of why I became a therapist. And it has sort of affected my whole life is this very painful divorce of my of my aunt and uncle. The next thing you have to understand is that we were a really close family in the sense that my mother and her siblings met every three weeks at uh, my cousin's farm. They had a farm um, about 50 minutes away from where we lived. And so, as you can imagine, a childhood where every three weeks you went into the farm and you met all your family and your cousins and you played together in haystacks and fed pigs and things like that was incredibly idyllic. But at the same time, it sounds like one of those books that you read about like wonderful childhood in the past. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you know, sort of uh, the famous five go adventuring yeah. sort of kind of kind of thing. And in some ways it was. Um, and this is where, you know, looking back, I realised that I was actually quite a sensitive child because I no, no the other thing to say about my family is nobody ever talks about anything that's important. So like feelings and what's going on, complete silence. What a surprise I became a therapist and spend my whole life talking about difficult topics and appearing in difficult places like divorce socials. Um, so nobody was saying all of this stuff, but I could feel it somewhere in my bones. I remember once when everybody was in the one of the fields close to the farmhouse, sort of looking at the cows. And, you know, we were very small children at this point. So, you know, it would be fun to sort of ride a friendly cow and to, you know, give them grass and things like that. And my uncle comes along and says, you don't want to be with all these women. Come with me on my tractor. Um, and this sort of seemed a little bit weird, this sort of idea that, um, you know, that was sort of almost like a tug of war for my attention. And of course, you know, now I understand he was feeling sort of left out, bitter and, you know, wanted somebody on his side. And so I went off with him and one of the farm um, helpers and, you know, we did things on the back of tractor. But... I sort of at that point realised that there was some kind of unspoken war going on um, in this family. Um, and then sort of the weeks and the months would go by and normally my uncle would have come in for tea on Sunday afternoon, um, but he didn't come in to t for tea. And I remember asking, where is he? And I was told he's out on one of the outlying fields. And, you know, I was sensible enough even at six or seven to realise that the fields, it was a very small farm. There were no fields that were so far away that we wouldn't have seen where he was and would stop him coming back for his tea. Um, and then he stopped appearing at all. And we were not allowed to mention this. This was an unmentioned topic, which, of course, as soon as you can't talk about something, it becomes much heavier and harder to deal with. It's interesting that you had such a schedule as well of like every three weeks and then he'd come in for tea. And I guess when there is a schedule, you really notice the absence. Exactly. And when people aren't saying things, you know, as a therapist, that's what I really notice. But what is weird is I was sort of noting this as a child because somehow, you know, I knew it really mattered. But I couldn't talk to my cousins about it. They were um, like two or three years older than me. I had younger cousins as well and a younger sister. Um, because as I later found out many years later, they were also instructed that they were always to say he was out in the fields and not to talk about it any further. So us cousins couldn't talk about it. And we certainly couldn't talk to uh, my aunt or my parents or my grandmother. This was all an un was a, a topic that, you know, was forbidden. And he just disappeared from the scene. Um, one day I came home for lunch because I live very close to the school and my mother wasn't there, which was a big surprise. 
And, you know, I sort of hung around outside and she arrived late in a rush. Um, and this was, you know, 100 years ago. So there was no such thing as mobile phones or anything else like that. You just stood outside the door and, and waited sort of kind of thing or go to a neighbour. But this time the neighbour wasn't in. And that was when she told me that she'd gone with her sister to the divorce and that they were getting divorced. It's really interesting because I'm... I'm- was talking to a friend of mine recently who's separating from her husband and we were talking about children and how you know when I was saying when I was younger and my parents just before they separated I knew something was going on but no one would say anything and and actually I would have liked them to say something because I could feel it and in a way I thought am I just imagining all of this like am I the only one who knows what's going on or why is no one saying anything and and then she you know my friend is a, is a mum herself with a young daughter and she was saying well you just sort of don't say anything in the hope that they haven't noticed um because you want to protect them from the horrible thing that's going on. And it was really interesting hearing it from me, hearing it from the mother's side, because obviously I only viewed it from the child's side. Um, so I'm just thinking if anyone is is going through this now and they have children that are around, um, you know, like you were back then, what is the best thing to do? Is it good to be open from the very beginning or... You know, because as an adult, you need to process it as well. And now I'm putting on my therapist hat rather than the one from all those years ago. Um, And I I think it's a balance between, you know, you need to acknowledge what's going on. So um, there isn't this terrible secret. And, you know, the whole way through this story, it is about terrible secrets and unspoken things. Um, And that is horrible. Um, But you obviously don't want to overload them with this stuff. You know, they're not your therapist and your confidant. Um, So it is a balance between, you know, keeping them informed, you know, um, and not telling them everything after the the fact. Um, And the impact of this um, on my grandmother, this is my, my uncle, my father's mother, um, was because the divorce was so spectacularly bad, and I'll in a moment give you a few more details about why it was so bad, she was not allowed to see her grandchildren for what must be 10, 15 years, effectively, um, all the time they were growing up. She saw them again when my cousin, my male cousin, who was like, when he reached about 23, got married, and she was invited to the wedding. And that was the first time she'd seen her grandson since he was, I don't know, eight or nine. Um, And yet, these children were coming to our house that was like, 10 minutes in the five minutes in the car from her, her place. We were talking about them, but they were sort of ghost children as far as she was concerned. And, you know, she was a widow. She was um, she was born not in the last century, but the end of the 19th century. And for her, her grandchildren were the centre of her life. And this was a huge running sore for her. And because, you know, I was very close to her and a very sensitive child, I was aware of that uh, running sore. And when we're talking about it now... I think you can hear that even all these years later as an adult, I'm feeling incredibly emotional about it on her behalf of just this tragedy for her. I mean, it was a tragedy for everybody as well. (sighs) So my uncle... um, coming from another family that uh, never talked about anything, just effectively disappeared into the into the blue beyond and leaving, I'm sure, lots of debts and a farm that had to be ran. I mean, it's just unthinkable. Um, and was tracked down by nefarious means, you know, finally, to be able to tra- track down to to serve the divorce papers. So, you know, he didn't just go, he disappeared off the face of the earth and hid where he was. You know, he didn't tell 
us or anybody where he was. So he didn't, even his own mother didn't know where he was because, you know, he was trying to effectively run away. Um, which is often often what happens when you don't talk about anything. You just reach the point where you run away. So, so just for a bit of timeline. So you were in this family unit where one side of the family, sisters, married, brothers on the other side of the family, and yeah. not incestuous brothers and sisters, but no. two families coming together. So that was a really solid, solid family unit, not only by marriage, but you know, you were all together and seeing each other regularly. Yeah. And then one person in this family, the uncle, completely disappears, not letting anyone know where he's gone. Yeah. And as you can imagine, there was another woman involved. Um, so, uh, you know, the shame to throw into this uh, particular mix as well. We've got debt. You've got a whole farm that has to be run. Uh, my aunt lived in the farm yard, in the farm house. I'm sure she was terrified that as they won't be able to keep up the rent on the farm, um, that she would be homeless. Fortunately, she managed to do a deal where um, somebody else did the had the land, and she was able to stay in the house. So we continued to visit this place all the way through my childhood. But um, this uncle um, disappeared, and he disappeared out of his own children's life as well. Um, and because this is stuff that was I later discovered. Um, he would send letters and presents to his children and his ex-wife, um, perhaps understandably, though I think really cruelly, threw the letters away and didn't give the presents. Um, so so my, the children felt abandoned by their well, father as well. They had been abandoned and then they felt abandoned all over again. Yeah. So do you remember seeing your aunt at that time when your uncle had disappeared or were you sort of kept away? No, no, we were still going there every three weeks and, you know, we stopped asking where he was, you know, he was sort of, he just disappeared and nobody spoke about it, but you understood the rule. You never spoke about Uncle X. Um, and this is what is so destructive is that, you know, everybody knows it wasn't just an elephant in the room. It was a whole herd of cows in the room and a tractor and, uh, um, you know, everything else, a whole load of pigs and chickens. And, you know, they all disappeared too. I remember the day that somebody came and took the all the cows away and saw them going into the, going into the van and knowing they were probably going off to the slaughterhouse. I mean, it was an incredibly sad day, but, you know, it wasn't spoken about. This was just factual, you know, the the, the cows are, are going somewhere else. Because how old were you at this stage? Well, by the time they got divorced, I was probably about seven. And I think by the time the, you know, the cows probably disappeared about a year later or something like that, it over time, you know, the, the different, the people who took over the farm wanted to do different things. And that old fashioned sort of, um, children's storybook farm where there are cows and hens and pigs sort of disappeared and they just um, grew corn and, you know, had a couple of horses that were out to grass sort of kind of thing and the, the barn fell down. Did you ever talk to your cousins? Obviously you were very young about it or was it still that rule of we just don't mention anything has changed? Yeah, it was sort of don't mention the war basically. You know, I think I mentioned it once, but I got away with it. Was, And this is the, the thing, the big secret that nobody talks about. Occasionally there would be odd things that would drop down. You know, you'd overhear little things like uh, my grandmother spoke to her daughter about the fact that um, her children were not seeing the other grandmother. Um, and, you know, she was given short shrift and told to mind her own business. So, you know, that was sort of the family, if you know, the family motto was don't talk about it. The second one was probably mind your own business. But yet, just the fact that, you know, I, I was almost in tears a few moments ago shows that, you know, it was our business and it was in my 
my heart and my stomach, all of this material. I mean, do you remember how it felt for you at that age, you know, when you had to go and visit the farm and it had before been this really happy memory? Did you dread going or did it become just the new normal? And and how did that secret sort of physically feel to you? Well, it was the new normal and, you know, the that we still had fun. We were still there, um, you know, in this idyllic childhood with, uh, you know, Enid Blyton writing the script. But, you know, you were living next door and this is really what was there. Um, the next farm along was a pig farm. And when the wind came from that direction, my God, did it stink. And that would be a very good analogy for how this family acted, you know, the stink was coming from somewhere else. We don't talk about it. We hope the wind changes. And so as you grew up, how did this idea of divorce affect you? So obviously you then studied and, and you know, trained to be a therapist um, and work with people on their marriages. But before that, you know, in your earlier, maybe teenage years, how do you think it affected you? I think the big thing is, and this is what is so useful about being a marital therapist or for being a marital therapist, is it made me realise that there were two sides to every story. And you could tell this story in two ways um, that would be entirely different. Um, and yet it was the same reality that I was I was living. And so I think that has always stuck with me. I've always been able to see both sides of the story and to actually hold them as equally compelling. Um, and I think that's one of the huge things, problems that, you know, we as a human race have. Our own lives are always far more vivid than anybody else's. Um, and so, you know, our version of the story is always going to be more powerful than our partner's version of the story. And to sort of from a very early age see that. Um, and just I think the other thing that has been so impactful for me is just how long it lasted. So my my grandmother was allowed to see her grandchildren when they were effectively adults and she missed those glorious years when their children when we were when they were children, and you have that truly profound uh, link between grandchild and grandparent. But it was not until many years after that um, that uh, the wife of my elder cousin said to my mother, could you introduce the children to their father? Um, could you make the connection? Because um, obviously, by now, everybody knew where my uncle was now living. Um, and finally, as adults, an incredibly short amount of time before he died young of cancer at about 60. Um, so if he was sort of 57, 58, they would have been in his children would have been in their mid 30s. They actually saw their father again for an incredibly brief amount of time. But um, their children were only told that they met X. They were not told that it was their grandfather in case they told their grandmother and the secret was out of the bag. So even my cousins, even when they were 30 something, they could not mention to their mother that they had actually met their father. Wow. And there was one extraordinary day um, that I feel I have to tell you to sort of show you how long the bitterness can last or how long it lasted in this family. So um, I am probably by now 20 something, maybe. Yeah, I think I'm probably about I'm 20 something. So my cousins are once again a few years older than me. And the, this is Chris, this is Boxing Day. Mm -hmm. um, so it, the, all the family were at our house. And after Boxing Day lunch, with a family of traditions, you take the dogs for a walk in the park. And while we and while we'd be walking the dogs in the park, um, 
some of the adults would stay behind and do the washing up and clearing up and everything else that they didn't want to come for the come for the walk. And my aunt was one of the people who'd stayed behind to help clear up. And when we came back, there was once again an incredible atmosphere in the house. And I didn't know why. And I mean, it was like the pig farm had been moved next to our house. And what I discovered was that my uncle had come to see his mother and he'd just dropped round on the off chance that she would be home in her own house. And when she wasn't in her own house, you know, the next most likely place that she would be on Boxing Day would be in our house, which was five minutes away, remember. So he pops around. So the estranged, you know, husband who left for another woman then popped in and the ex-wife was there. Exactly. And all the other people he hadn't seen for, I don't know, 20 years. And as you can imagine, everybody was very pleased to see him because, you know, a lot of water has flown under the bridge, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, hello, ex, you know, how nice to see you. And a little bit being very English, being over nice because we're trying to cover up the stink from the pig farm, remember. And my aunt, I'm told, got up and said, if you're going to be here, I'm going. And he said, well, no, I don't want to cause a scene. I will go. So although his children were in the park across the road, he didn't get to see them. And, you know, that it was impossible for, and, you know, I can possibly understand why it wasn't possible for them to to all be in the same room together, even after all those years, but it wasn't. And once again, we came back to all of this pain. Um, and, you know, I was too young to really understand what it must have been like for my cousins to sort of know yeah. that their father had been, if they had actually left, you know, I don't know, 10 minutes later or reappeared 10 minutes late, uh, earlier, that they would have actually seen their father for the first time after all of this time. I mean, I mean, it just breaks my heart telling you this story now. And so did they ever contact their father? Yes. So that, as I said, my mother arranged for them to meet X and um, they must have seen him, shall we say, five or six times before he then subsequently died of um, uh, cancer. But that was with their children. Yeah. So yeah. they knew it was their dad, but their children didn't know it was their grandpa. Yes. That must have been hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once again, you know, the, the the secrets get passed down the generations. Gosh, that's a lot. So it is. Also, what a boxing day. Yes. We, you know, everyone thinks, oh, we've had a family argument on boxing day. That's a that's an extreme dramatic boxing day. But remember, no voices were it this was a this was a silent argument that was done with shrugs and sighs and turned backs, which is sort of ultimately even more poisonous than you know the sort of East Enders um thrown out of the pub sort of kind of conflicts mm. and feels very British for some reason, like not talking about it well, as you can imagine from listening to my accent, I'm not only very English but English middle class, and you know the curse is you don't want to be anything to be embarrassing, and this is the height of embarrassment in a family that doesn't talk about things, so as you could imagine, yeah ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, hello fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ding dong, it's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong. So obviously people are going to be listening to this, getting, going through a divorce or thinking about getting a divorce and thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want this to be my family and this secret to go on for years and years and years. So with your therapist hat on now, how how do you avoid this? You know, if it starts in the same way, if you had a client today who started telling you this story, how would you, you know, maybe your your aunt or even your uncle who kind of disappeared, how would you advise them to ensure that this doesn't happen? Uh, because this is really strong material for me, my mind has gone a complete and utter blank so at this <laughs> precise second. It's sort of, and that, I think that's really important to 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 actually think about because I feel totally de-skilled, and there's something about divorce that sort of sends us back to to childhood. We feel de-skilled, um, and. I think the where I would start is I would just listen to all the pain and the heartache. I mean, I think that is really important. We've just got to sit there and then find the end of the wool and follow that. I don't think there is any particular, you know, huge lesson to learn from this beyond I think you'd be it would be quite difficult to have a worse divorce than this one. I think you know if there was if there was a divorce section of the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, I think they would probably have at least an honorable mention in it. And that's quite that can be quite comforting in itself because you can think well my divorce isn't as bad as that one I heard about on the divorce social. Yeah, and you know, fortunately we live in a world where communication is much easier than it was beforehand that um you know there you can't guard the door and keep the post out in this sort of kind of world there are a million ways to come through um but i think the message that comes through the most is number 1 children notice everything you know as a child uh, or not even as a child as a baby you are monitoring what's going on in the in the room and people's reactions and sensing stuff from the get go so the idea that children don't notice things and you know i don't know they're 18 months old so they it won't affect them sort of material is our wishful thinking um and none of this is would have been anywhere near as bad if people had actually spoken about it and they'd actually talked about it and it was not a forbidden subject. You know, this is one of the reasons why I invited you on my podcast is because it is so important to talk about this stuff. It's the reason I'm here to sort of break the secret that um, I've carried with me. I haven't talked about this in detail in public ever. Well, thank you for sharing it. And, you know, 
as I as I have, you know, been a couple of occasions where I've just been overwhelmed by feelings, which sort of shows me how profound this stuff is. You know, I've taken little bits of it to my analyst over the years, and you know, I've looked at various parts of it, but you know, there is just so much to do. And I think that that would be my next thing as well as talking is to be aware that this stuff comes in in chunks. You'll have a chunk to do now. There'll be another chunk to do later. Um, and it'll be the same for your children. You know, it's a different experience at different ages. Um, and there'll be times when this stuff comes back. It's interesting because you know, it it does stay with you for a long time. And and I remember speaking to someone, it was like an analytics person about the podcast. And they were like, oh, well, when people get divorced, they'll probably listen to your podcast, you know, maybe for the first year, um, maybe even two years, but then they'll forget about it because they will have moved on. And I feel like when you've been through a divorce, you know, even if it's if it's you getting divorced or like you, you know, your family divorcing, um, it it's not something that ever really goes away. And and like you said, it does come in chunks. You know, I got divorced now. I can't even remember how long ago, but yeah, about that's definitely a, a, a another point in the recovery journey, isn't it? Yeah, I don't even know when. Um, but, you know, I'm in a re- new relationship now and and then stuff's coming up to do with my divorce and, and old relationship that I sort of either thought I dealt with or didn't even think about. And then it's coming up again now, kind of years later. So, you know, it, it is something that stays with you as well. And, and that is why it's important we talk about it. And and I just wanted to delve into that because obviously you said you didn't think um, a lot of the pain would have happened if people had talked about it and been open about it. If that's if that's you, if if you're, you know, the parents sitting around the kitchen table, everyone's having lunch, how do you start that conversation? Like, how do you broach it? Would you, would you, you know, if I was asking you advice about this, would I plan it? Would I just come out with it at what felt like an okay time? So I think you need to get the cues from your children. They will be curious in the same way I said, where is Uncle X? Um, That would have been a very good point to say, you know, um, say something. Um, I think if you're going to speak to your children, um, that is a very big moment. And I know from my couples who I see, um, this is something that really concerns them. What are they going to say to their children? Um, And, you know, it is worth having a think about that. But the thing to remember is it's just conversation number one. So if you mess it up, it doesn't matter because there's always a second or third time to do it. And, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving because it'll keep on coming up and you'll have 10 million chances to address it. But if you come from a family where people don't talk about things and this is really difficult for you, you know, I would say, get some help because if you are finding it difficult to articulate it to yourself, you are not going to have enough sort of knowledge of it to be able to articulate it to to your partner. Um, and you're not going to have enough ability to be able to articulate it to your children either. Um, and you do need to do a certain amount of pro- uh, processing so that you tell your children enough. Um, but, you know, I have been I have had clients who've been told, you know, terrible things about their parents. You know, um, I'll give you one example. You know, you don't need to hear about the sexually transmitted diseases that one of your parents gave to the other. You know, there's some such thing as too much information. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it does need, you know, you do have to remember that your your children love this other person. And so you need to be aware that there's going to be a limit to how much information they want to be able to carry in their heads for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I remember after my dad died, so my parents separated but never divorced, and then my dad died. And after he died, I found out a bit of information about him that kind of threw my memories of him 
a bit mm-hmm. and and I found that really difficult especially because he wasn't here anymore so I couldn't talk to him about it and it it kind of yeah it it's it completely threw me and I sort of felt completely discombobulated and like I had to rejig all of my thoughts about him and and, and it took a real while to kind of process and then get to the point of thinking he's still my dad my memories of him are all still you know valid just because there's this new bit of information it just adds to the fuller picture of him um so i can imagine you know for a child or finding out what one of them gave the other one an std like it's a bit like whoa like that wasn't in my view of like who my parent is well you you have to you have to remember parents don't actually have sex yeah of course Never. Only twice for the two children, and you know, then only under sufferance, sort of yeah. kind of thing. I mean, that's how we—that's how we feel. These are not pictures we want in our brains, are they? Yeah. So I'm really interested in this secret that stayed with you so long, and as you said, you know, you got emotional. It clearly still has a real impact on you. Have you ever spoken to your cousin? You know, now you're all grown up and. Um, a lot of the people who are involved, the adults, have now passed on. Have you ever sat down with your cousins and had a proper chat about it? Yes, I have spoke to one of my cousins, and this is another great sadness. She died young of cancer as well, or when I say young, in her late 50s. Um, and, you know, we did talk about this, and I heard all sorts of other things that were extraordinarily painful that she'd been uh, carrying around. And you could understand from this, I mean, her phrase was, um, you know, the dragon might have um, lost its teeth, but it can still it can still burn sort of kind of thing. And that was her relationship with her with her mother. Um, you know, all of these secrets had a profound effect on that relationship. And there were a whole load of other things that, you know, we're not here to go into that would have been, which were equally difficult for her to to do. And she said, one of the most profound things to me ever, and because she went on to have a, a, a really wonderful marriage um, and, you know, her great joy was that she didn't pass on all the inherited trauma onto her onto her daughter um and you know having seen all of this up close you know i knew that that was that was true um so yes we did talk about it and you know quite a bit of the information i have uh, comes from my cousin but um i sort of it came up naturally. This is what she said and she told me. And, you know, I'm a good listener. So, um, you know, I didn't comment. I just sort of nodded my head and heard more and validated what she was saying as somebody who was actually there and could give an, give another take on it. And I think when there are secrets, it's really good to have it validated that, the secret was there because sometimes people deny that there's a secret even. Yeah. And I think it's really, that's a really important point. And I'm glad you said that as well, that she had a very happy, long marriage. Because I think so often, especially parents I've spoken to, are so worried that they're passing on all these ideas to their children, having witnessed their divorce that they might, you know, feel some guilt and shame that they might then, their children might then struggle in relationships. And actually, it's nice to see an example of, no, she had a happy marriage and she didn't pass on the trauma to her children yeah, either. And and her daughter has, um, has, has a happy marriage too. Um, and um, hopefully her grand, the, the grandchildren will also go on and the, um, the chain has been broken. But my cousin, I mean, not in the formal sense of the word of going into therapy, but she did a lot of a lot of work. I mean, she did quite a bit of, you know, that although she had a bit of a distant relationship with her mother, she did do some forgiveness work. Um, so you, if you're not going to pass it on, you have to do the work, unfortunately. Yeah. You have to sort of accept and 
shake it off. (laughs) It sounds very frivolous way of putting it, but I liked what you said earlier about, um, I think your cousin said it to you about the the dragon might not have the teeth, but it still burns. I think Mm. burning is a really vivid metaphor for how the breakdown of a relationship can feel because at the beginning it's that very raw like skin blistering feels so present and real but then obviously we know with a burn like it carries on burning the layers under your skin and it can really feel like that at the worst times. And I like the image of the dragon because you know we can sort of see old sleeping dragons that sort of you know don't seem so dangerous, but you sort of know if you poke it that, um, you know, they're going to rouse up and they're going to cause problems again. Mm. So, you know, you we have to deal with the dragons in our lives. Um, and here's a, a profound thought. The dragons have gold in myths and legends. Dragons are often sitting on a pile of gold, not that they know what to do with it, but What's the what the myth is telling us is if we go to these dangerous places, we will find gold that if we confront our pain hidden inside the pain. And I think this is one of the central messages from the divorce social editions that I've heard is there is gold there. We learn about ourselves, you know, effectively, I've mined this for gold. You know, I've turned it into best selling books. Um a business. And, you know, ultimately, it's sent me on the road to finding, you know, about meaning and a podcast. So in in the pain is not something to hide away from. We don't want to go to the dragon's cave. But remember, the dragon has a huge pile of gold there. I love that. Deal with the dragon and then swim in the gold. (laughs) Uh, and also, we should say as well that you are happily married. So yes. even these secrets and this family situation, you know, it hasn't affected your ability to have a happy marriage. It's not. And I think it's that's really important as well, because sometimes I know for me, when I got divorced, I thought, oh, I'm I'm bad at relationships and the, I'm just going to carry this being bad at relationships around with me and all my relationships are going to fail and I'm never going to be happy and content and with another person and share. And I think it's so important that some some real trauma can happen in your life. And then obviously you need to do the work and the healing and the confronting the dragon. But then, you know. Yeah, you can have a a nice time. What you're talking about is catastrophizing. And when we're in a dark place, we make it darker by catastrophizing. You know, we're going to pass the curse on for five generations. No, sorry, seven generations is the number of generations you're supposed to send a curse down. Um, And the curse can go down the generations, but it doesn't have to. Um, We have choices and we can do different things. We, As I say, we can work on healing that pain. Yeah, definitely. I'm not cursed. Yay. None of us are cursed. And the most important thing, and if you're actually going through a, a divorce at the moment, um, what I would say, and this is what I do a lot of work with, is helping improve communication. Most people end up getting divorced because in some sense they're not able to communicate effectively. Um, Unfortunately, divorce doesn't help you communicate better. It generally makes things worse because it's easier to sort things out when you're in the kitchen arguing face to face rather than over text. So you have to improve your communication. So if you're in that sort of phase, will we, won't we, I always work on improving the communication so that you can get the day-to-day things better. And couples always say to me, oh, no, of course we'll be able to manage things like, you know, drop-offs and pickups for children. But it's much harder, you know, when you're actually faced with the reality of it and all the complex feelings of it, it's always much harder than we think it's going to be. And actually being able to get that those listening skills, simple communication skills up to scratch is really helpful. And it it pays dividends whether we stay in that relationship or we go to a next relationship. You know, communication skills will always be helpful. And so on that, what would your top communications tip be? 
My top communication tip is reflecting back because when somebody is angry with us or tells us all the things they don't like about us, our number one thing to do is generally to defend ourselves. And we get into a game of I'm right and you're wrong. And I promise you, nobody ever wins I'm right and you're wrong, because even if you somehow manage to convince me you're right on this topic, I just pull in another topic where you're not. And, you know, we just, the the merry-go-round continues. But when we're under stress, we just go straight into defending ourselves. Reflecting back is, um, well, I think we could demonstrate it. Could you tell me something um, emotional, just a couple of sentences and I will ref- I will demonstrate how I reflect back. What sort of emotional? You know, you're feeling, let's, let's imagine that I'm your partner and you're slightly upset with me about something. So channel, channel your up, something you've been upset with your partner about and tell me about it and I'll play being your partner. Um, <laughs> when I try and cook for you, you, um, you always tell me what to do because I know that you're the better cook, but I'm trying to do something nice and cook for you. And then it feels like you don't appreciate it. So what you're saying is that when I'm when I'm cooking, I tell you what to do and you don't feel appreciated. So how did you feel when I said that back? Did you feel that you'd been heard? Yeah, I was like, yes, exactly. And so, and I would, my next thing would be, is there more? So I'm really hearing you rather than defending myself. Yeah, that's nice. I'm going to get my boyfriend to listen to this section of the podcast. Because when you really hear somebody and you say, and, you know, is there more are three of the most loving words in the English language. They're much stronger than I love you because, you know, you can use I love you to shut something down to actually when your partner is upset about, you know, and you say, is there more? You're actually saying, you know, I will accept you even when you're angry. I'll accept all of you. So you're buying your, you're also buying yourself time so that, you know, your heart rate can sort of come down a bit. So um, you can sort of move into a more creative space where either um, we'll do something about your upset or, you know, when you've when you've been heard, you'll be prepared to hear my point of view about um, what, you know, why I give you advice when I when you're cooking. Um, that would be my number one tip. Um, we are just too quick to go. Yes, but and this is yes, I've heard you tell me more. And it really only takes people fear that, you know, that uh, their partner will, as somebody put it uh, last night, will go on for the next four years. Uh, <laughs> that's that's our fear. But I don't think you could manage four years on this topic, could you? Well, I don't know. I am quite good at talking, but yeah, maybe not four years. Also, when you said, is there more, it kind of made me go, oh, you know, and, and as a, I think, if my partner said that to me, I'd be like, oh, wow, they're like opening the space for me to talk, which is kind of a lot of the time what you want when you start an argument. <laughs> You're like, I want to talk about it. And it might be that you would actually then you'll be surprised. Often people start defending their partner. They will actually say for themselves, well, you know, I'm sure you're doing this for the best of reasons. Um and if you say it, that's going to be a thousand times stronger than me saying I'm doing it for good reasons. So often that little bit extra time, um, you'll that will get the second thought from the angry partner that is actually going to be more conciliatory. But telling somebody that why they shouldn't be angry has never made anybody less angry. Yeah, because now I'm like, I think he tells me what to do when I'm cooking because he knows I don't like cooking and I don't feel confident cooking. So he's trying to help. <laughs> And now he won't listen to you. I mean, that's double the anger, isn't it? Yeah, I like that. It's great advice. That's why you do what you do. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and also some great top tips. Um, Where can people find, can you tell us the titles of your books, please, and where we can find them and also your website and where we can find you? Okay, so my my I think the two books that are probably the most relevant um, for for you would be I have a book called I Love You But I'm Not in Love with You, which sort of helps us understand how love drains out of a relationship in general, rather than actually 
sort of being focused on ABC happened of particular events. Um, and I think it's useful to see the biggest bigger scene. If you um, your marriage is uh, collapsing uh, because of infidelity, I have a couple of books on that subject. Um, if you want to try and understand that, how can I ever trust you again? Why did I cheat, which is written for the person who's been unfaithful? Um, and I've got I can't get over my partner's affair, which is looking a lot of people talking about the long term impacts of infidelity. There's also Why Did I Cheat, which is um, for the person who's been unfaithful, um, um, helping them understand what's going on and uh, why. Um, and then I Can't Get Over My Partner's Affair, which is a lot of people talking about the long term impacts of infidelity. It might be quite interesting to read Why Did I Cheat as the other person as well mm. who was cheated on. Yeah. Um, uh, that's the sort of thing I'm interested in as well, of like reading the other side of things. And particularly because often the person who's been unfaithful is not, will actually only give you their justifications, like, you know, you didn't pay me enough attention, which is the surface level stuff. What I'm interested in is the much deeper stuff, um, which might not have so much to do with you, uh, might be their own material. And in fact, 99 times out of 100, it's more about them than it is about you. Um, mm. And understanding that if they can't tell you this stuff, they have, they're have they not prepared to do the work. They just want to run off and into the blue yonder. Um, it will help you with, with that. Um, my website is www.andrewgmarshall.com. Um, we'll find details of all the books. I've got lots of resources on there. And then on my podcast is called The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. And I interview all sorts of wise and wonderful people. And you'll find um, all, all of your wisdom on that uh, on that podcast. Um, and I, th I do a lot on the different emotions. So there's podcasts on shame, on anger. Um, there's one that's I think people will find very interesting uh, why men retreat when women get angry, um, which um, helps men understand what's going on and I think is really helpful for, for women. I've got some of the world's top relationship experts and we chew the facts together. Those episodes are really um, popular as well. Um, there's... Um, a very good episode. Have you ever heard of the the guy who said I got divorced because I left um, the 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 cups in the cup in the sink? I think I've 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 heard about the someone who said that about pants on the floor. Yeah. So Matthew Fry um, wrote this pod uh, wrote, wrote a, a blog that went sort of went viral about how he got divorced because he didn't put the put the glass in the dishwasher rather than leave it on the sink. Um, and we we talk about that and break that down. And he's turned this, he's turned that one, one thing into a career. Um, that's one of my most popular podcasts. Um, so there's a lot of resources there, um, which I think people would find helpful. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, it would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, but also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.